Impact on Diverse and Underserved Communities. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or CDC, more than 1 million people in the United States have been infected by COVID-19 as of April 30th, 2020. This global pandemic has swept across communities leaving devastation and heartbreak behind. It has highlighted a long-standing problem of healthcare disparities plaguing poor and underserved communities, which are most often populated by a large number of people of color. Our more sobering realization is the hospitalization death rates, which are disproportionately impacting African-Americans and Hispanics. In a recent Washington Post analysis, which compiled data from nine jurisdictions reporting infection death rates by race, African-Americans died at almost six times the rate of Caucasians. Welcome to the Diversity Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Audra Jenkins, joined by a member of my Ron Set Equality Diversity Inclusion Crew, or Ready Crew, Floss Agri. Today, we're speaking with Nzinga Shaw, the Global Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer for Starbucks, one of the world's most recognizable brands. Prior to joining Starbucks, she made history when she became the first Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer in the National Basketball Association when she joined the Atlanta Hawks Basketball Club. During her tenure with the Hawks, Nzinga spearheaded their award-winning diversity inclusion practices and programs, which led to being recognized with the NBA's prestigious Inclusion Leadership Award, and many more. Beyond her professional success, she is also a proud wife and mother. Welcome, Zing. Hi, Audra. Thank you so much for having me. Floss and I are so excited today. We were just overjoyed having you here because we so appreciate your time and you're one of my favorite diversity practitioners for sure. Zing, you are undoubtedly a thought leader and trailblazer in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Considering where you are today and the tremendous success of your career, tell us about some of those the role models and mentors you had growing up that really inspired you. That's a great question, Audra. I think about role models and I think about mentors a lot. And what I've recognized over time is that role models and mentors show up in many ways. And so I will say that the first role model and mentor that I had in my life was very early on. It was probably around the age of nine. I grew up as an only child in Long Island and my parents both worked full-time jobs. And so as an only child, they would leave me with my next door neighbor who was an older woman, probably in her late eighties at the time. Miss Betty. And Miss Betty would share so many stories about life with me. We sat down and it's funny because now people tell me that I'm wise beyond my years. And I say, no, 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 I'm not. It's just Miss Betty had such a great impact on my life. Miss Betty went through so many things throughout her life journey. She lost children. She lost her husband. She had some great successes, but through all of it, she's always remained optimistic. And so I remember one time I was young, probably about 10 years old, and Miss Betty and I were having a conversation and she said to me that life is daily. And as a 10 year old, I didn't understand really what that meant. But over time, it started to resonate with me. And what I recognized by life is daily is that we can't expect what any day will look like. We have to take the joys and the pains the successes and the failures that come with life day by day, and really recognize that every single day that we're allowed to live on this earth is a blessing. And so I think of Miss Betty often. She passed away at the age of 95, so she had a very long life. But again, there were ebbs and flows. And so I think that having a relationship with somebody like Miss Betty really instilled in me so many great lessons that I've been able to share with others and undoubtedly will share with my children as they grow up. 
professionally, when I think about mentors, there are a couple of people that come to mind, but one in particular, his name is Neil Glatt, and he was an executive at the National Football League when I was his human resources generalist at the time. And Neil and I couldn't be any more different from one another. We're the exact opposite on the other spectrum. And what I've learned from that relationship is that you can really gain a lot of important lessons about life from being around people who are different. I think sometimes people stay together in a comfort zone with people that are like them because it's very hard and challenging to think outside of your normal day-to-day activities. And so what Neil did was always push me to think differently. And I think that relationship is what fostered the love of diversity and inclusion in me because I recognize that if I can have a challenging conversation that has respect at the core with a person who is completely opposite, then I can learn and grow and develop. So those are the two examples that come to mind. That is amazing, Zing. I love that. Especially, we all need a Miss Betty in our life. I love that life is daily. I love that quote. I'm going to use that. And then what you learn from Neil, I can't imagine. I think some of the things that we think of when we're we're in a rough, tough spot in our lives. Sometimes we think, or we're dealing with a challenging person. You're right. It shapes us, makes us better and stronger and more open-minded. So thank you for that. That's phenomenal information and advice there. So one thing that we've learned in this global pandemic is that everyone has been impacted in some way. What are you doing to keep yourself and those in your personal sphere influence inspired and hopeful at this time? First, let's just acknowledge that this pandemic is extremely challenging for everybody. It is not discriminating against anyone. I mean, there are certainly populations of our community that are being more adversely impacted than others. But what I will say is it is shining a light on the fact that no one is immune. And so recognizing that no one is immune to COVID-19, I think there's a lot of fear within people in society right now. I think people are uneasy. People are facing mental health challenges. And I think that as I think more and more about this situation that we are encountering, I think about how I personally stay inspired because I know that I can't inspire anybody else if I'm not inspired. And so I try to just appreciate the small things in life. I've been spending a lot more time with my kids who are very small. They're three and one, watching the little milestones that they achieve. I've been reading a lot more, spending time, quality time meditating. I'd never spent time with myself for extended periods of time to meditate and to clear my mind of whatever clutter was happening in the world. And so those are the things that are inspiring me. And so as I am becoming inspired personally, what I'm doing is sharing some of the things that I'm learning with my friends, with my family. I'm connecting more. I'm using different methods and tools to connect. So I've never got on Zoom or used Microsoft Teams or did anything like that until now. And I find myself reaching out to people that I haven't talked to in a long time, just sparking a conversation, just asking how they're doing, keeping things very simply and listening. I think sometimes what has happened in the past is that we move so quickly that we don't spend enough time listening. And when you listen, you learn. And so when I learn, I become inspired. I become inspired to share those stories outward with others. I become inspired to start doing new things. And so I'm hopeful 
that this pandemic has sparked me to become an inspiration to others just by living more simply and more intentionally. That is so impactful, Zing. Thank you for that, especially living more simply. I think we all are feeling that right now. I love your thought process around meditation. That's something I start my day with as well. I think for me, it's also been about positive affirmations and continuously trying to fill my mind and thoughts with some positive things because we're getting so much negative reports from the news right now. It's just every day there's something either about the death rate or something else has happened because of all the other things that's happening in the world. So very powerful and thoughtful. And I'm so, and I love that you're spending time with your kids. I think these are years you can't get back. So kudos for you for that. Thank you. You brought up a great point about all of the negative news that we're hearing and people fixating on that. I think what I am trying to do is recognize that there is a moment to have and demonstrate gratitude through the negativity. So if we keep hearing that people are dying and people are getting sick and people are passing away, what I think about is the fact that I have another day, that I am healthy, that I am blessed to be alive, and I will cherish every single moment in that manner. So I just would challenge others to try not to fixate on the negativity. It's a lot. It's overwhelming. It's a burden to bear but we have a lot to be thankful for. If you woke up this morning, you have a lot to be thankful for. Yes, absolutely. We are very fortunate. That leads me to our next question, Zing. There are so many advertisements out there where companies are saying, quote unquote, we're all in this together. But the reality is everyone doesn't feel that way. For example, there's our frontline workers who don't have the privilege to work from home. There are celebrities sheltering on yachts and they have the ability financially to store up provisions for several months, even years. And then there's others living paycheck to paycheck and there's people that are homeless. So when that wide range of disparity, how can we as diversity practitioners use our platform to bring attention to these disparities so we can affect more positive change? Such a great question and a difficult one to answer. I will talk about it from the perspective of Starbucks since that's where I'm at right now and just recognizing that we have the majority of our partners, we call our employees partners, by the way, the majority of our partners, so about 180,000 partners in the United States are store partners. They're not actually afforded the opportunity to work virtually, as you described. We probably only have 6,000 partners that support our SSC, which is our store support center, our corporate headquarters in Seattle. But other than that, the large majority of our partners are working in stores and have been on the front lines, have been serving products and beverages to first responders, have shown up to work in locations where we operate drive throughs and have had the ability to open our stores. And I will say that we do recognize that this is not a situation in which equality shows up. There are specific instances where people in population are afforded more opportunity to have shelter in place, right? So if you happen to have a source support center job, then you're able to work from home. But what about our partners that keep our stores alive? They're the the life and the blood of our organization. So we've had to really be very intentional and think very long and hard about ways to meet them where they're at from a diversity and inclusion perspective. And so 
working in conjunction with our benefits team and, and with leaders in the organization, we have designed some very specific benefits that would afford partners that have to work in order to keep the lights on through the pandemic with opportunities to be safe. An example of that is offering Lyra, which is a mental health application that we have recently introduced to our organization that allows partners to decompress and have access to meditation sessions and different types of tools that would give them access to therapists and people to talk with them as we are navigating this situation. In addition, we are very fortunate to extend care at work days to all of our partners and allow them to tap into resources that would afford them child care that is fully funded by the company, adult care that is fully funded by the company, all of the things that are necessary so that if they do in fact have to go into the stores and work, that it does not become a financial burden. And there are a host of other things, but I would also like to add as a diversity and inclusion practitioner, I've recognized that it's so important for our partners to stay connected to one another virtually. And so we have created chat rooms for some of our partner networks, which are affinity networks, so that they can have ongoing discussions and dialogue and stay connected with one another and have celebrations or even have moments where they cry and have candid discussions about what challenges they're facing. But the point is connectivity will keep people engaged and inspired. So I don't know if there is a particular right or wrong answer for how we address disparity and inequity. But what companies and organizations have to do is lean into the fact that we have a shared humanity. Keep humanity at the core and think about every single individual life as significant and important then it's easy to put your heads together and figure out the best ways to show up. Phenomenal, Zing. Thank you for that. I love the Lyra. I love that. I love that mental health. I think those resources are certainly critical, especially during this time of anxiety and uncertainty for so many people. We at Ronset are doing something similar, but more so in our town halls, inviting speakers to come talk about resiliency and mental health and different things and providing additional resources. So Kudos to Starbucks for that. And then the care at work. I think that takes a little bit of the anxiety away for your partners that have to go in. I think having that access is definitely phenomenal because that's your biggest fear. If the schools are closed and you've got to work, then and you don't have a person there that can care for your child or, or elderly parent or elderly sick one that you're caring for, it's nice to have access. So kudos to Starbucks. You guys are doing some amazing things there. Thank you. Great. So now I'm going to transition over to Floss, who's going to ask you some additional questions. Thanks, Audra. And again, Zinga, so just so happy to connect with you today to go through some of these questions. Here in the U.S., while we're equally facing this pandemic, of course, there are clearly opportunities that maybe other countries, locations, they don't have. From where you sit, I know that Starbucks, they're doing a lot. So just relative to benefits for employees and things of that nature, is there anything that you could recommend to other businesses that may not be in that position? They may be financially vulnerable to offer inclusive benefits to support their workers during the crisis. We have to all be honest and realistic about our business models and understand that there are some companies that were in a financial situation before COVID-19 hit that were more prepared to absorb financial 
lost in the middle of what we're experiencing. And some companies are small businesses just now getting off the ground or perhaps have more of a delicate financial outlook. And so they're experiencing some major struggles. What I will say is that it's hard to tell a small business owner what they should do to keep the lights on right now. There aren't many answers. I mean, you look at the <laughs> at the very top of government and some entities that are falling right beneath, and we're not getting very clear answers or a long-term strategy for what sustaining these companies look like. And so it's very hard to point folks in the right direction. But what I will say is that business owners and companies need to do what's right for their employees to the extent that they can. I love that I have been seeing instances where companies that are even in the most financially challenged situations are offering furloughs versus completely obliterating. I think if you give employees an opportunity to take a slightly decreased salary in the midst of this, they would probably raise their hand to do that versus being unemployed, right? So I think we have to think about being flexible in our options. It doesn't have to be completely zero or completely 10. I think there's ways to be malleable and find common ground in the middle. But I also think that this is a time for organizations that are big and that are financially prosperous to figure out ways to support their communities and the companies around them and the people that have been serving them well. And so from a social impact perspective, we think about that at Starbucks. We think about the smaller organizations that we have relationships with and what we can personally do as a company to help support them through this from a financial perspective or even from the perspective of part-time work, offering opportunities that may not have existed or are not available in other organizations. So it's a really tough question that you ask, Floss, but it's time for everyone to help one another. It's time for people to peel back the layers of this onion and recognize that everything does not have to fit neatly into a box, but that we have to, again, lean into our shared humanity. Wow. That's so impactful. I think a lot of our listeners will be happy to hear about how much Starbucks is actually doing to support the community in this way, because it is important. And we see it on the news in terms of just a lot of the things that people are having to deal with, and it's impacting different groups in different ways. Speaking of which, there's been a lot of coverage around stress and anxiety and domestic violence. There are studies out there that actually speak to how anxiety and stress, especially during this time, impact individuals differently based on race. So there is just the different dynamics there relative to that. From an employer perspective and you working in this space, keeping in mind how the level of anxiety may impact different people racially in different ways or age groups or things like that, what tips do you have for employers to help them with self-guarding the mental health and resiliency of their staff during these uncertain times. I know that you mentioned Lyra, the mental health app, which that's impressive, and also those chat rooms. But is there anything else that you've seen or heard about or that you guys may be doing there at Starbucks that maybe you may offer just as a suggestion? Plus, it's a good question. I would say that what we have to do 
as employers is have real and honest conversations within the four walls of our company, particularly with senior leaders, to understand the demographics that are in all of our organizations, first and foremost. So who's at the table? Who do we serve from an employee perspective, from a customer perspective? And then let's understand what some of these demographics actually are facing. So we've had this conversation last week at Starbucks where I pushed our executive leadership team to have an open and honest dialogue within themselves about what are African-Americans facing? What are Asian-Americans facing? There's a lot of stigmatization with COVID-19. There's a lot of, unfortunately, we've seen some racist behavior, some targeted behavior towards minority demographics in the midst of covid And so we have to acknowledge that this is happening. We have to have an honest conversation that there are individuals in this world that are not necessarily being kind. And then we have to be honest about who they're not being kind to. And if there are groups of people within our company or organizations that are targeted during this time, we have to acknowledge them. We have to find ways to bring them together. So again, I said those chat rooms, I love them. People are showing up in large numbers because they want to tell their stories. We even introduced something new at Starbucks, which is a platform called Good Things Are Happening. And each week we feature stories about how partners and customers around the globe are exercising daily acts of resilience, kindness, courage, creativity, joy, just making good things happen. We have to over-communicate during this time. And we have to demonstrate empathy on a level that we've never demonstrated it before with intentionality behind our words and with the recognition that we understand you are being targeted, you are hurting, you don't feel good. And we see that, we accept that. We're not going to offer excuses for it, but what we're going to do is be here to help you heal. And be here to be a part of your journey and be here to let you tell your story. Because sometimes that's all that people want to do. They're not necessarily looking for answers or looking for their companies to solve. Companies are not going to be able to solve racism or sexism or ageism or any of the isms. But what companies can do is use their platforms to advance conversations about these issues so that there is a deeper level of understanding. And then there is an opportunity to heal. I think that's where there's a huge opportunity. I totally agree. You mentioned being honest and acknowledging that this is happening and that sometimes people just really want to have that space to voice that. I think that goes a long way with instilling trust. If as an employee, I see the authenticity and you're not dismissive towards my concerns, especially at a time like this when a lot of people are feeling unsafe. My next question ties into this, right? So if we think about feeling safe and we tie that into inclusion and belonging, we're all leading. I think we can agree that this is a global crisis that we're leading in. What should leaders continue to do to ensure that everybody feels like they're included and they belong? We're also at Ronstadt, we are doing things to focus on shared experiences like what you mentioned just a second ago, but There may be other things that listeners are looking for that they may be able to implement within their organization. So I'd love to hear from you on that. We've been doing a temperature check with all of our partners in this virtual work environment, particularly underrepresented 
partners. When I say underrepresented, I'm speaking about minorities. We have really leaned into our partner networks. Again, partner networks are affinity groups. It's just a different name, but it's the same thing. We have 10 of them. And these business resource groups are focused on creating moments of connection that just promote diversity and foster inclusion throughout our whole entire organization. It's interesting because they are not paid to do this work, yet they are the lifeblood of this organization. We have 74 chapters within the United States, and this is volunteer work that people are passionate about because they care about their demographic and because they care about one another. And what I've noticed and recognized within the partner networks is that they are now cross-collaborating. So our Black partner network is joining our armed forces network, right? And they're starting to cross-pollinate and recognizing that as human beings, we show up very intersectionally. We don't always fit neatly into a box. I happen to be Black, but I also happen to be a woman. And so if you think about all of the networks that we have, I think we have really fostered this idea that we can cross-pollinate and cross-collaborate and listen and learn from one another. So if organizations have an opportunity to either create networks or if they already have networks, challenge these networks to also bring solutions to the table. What happens sometimes is that organizations feel pressure to come up with all of the answers on their own. And they don't leverage their partners, their employees, the way that they should. Just today, I was on two roundtable discussions earlier with the Armed Forces Network and with the Black Partner Network and talking very openly with members about their vision for the future and what's gone right, but what's gone wrong. And where is there opportunity for us to develop a new narrative so that we're working towards building an environment where everyone has a strong experience, where everybody is feeling the opportunity for growth development and like they can reach their maximum potential. Because if you're operating an organization where some employees feel like the organization is wonderful and they belong there and it works in their best interest, and then you have others that feel the complete opposite, then you're not working optimally. That's just one example of the way that I personally and the way that Starbucks has been understanding and leaning into our employee population, our partner population. I hope that that's a helpful answer. Extremely. And it actually, thank you for sharing that. It leads me to my next point. You were talking about just now the open dialogue that you keep going. And I know earlier you mentioned focus on, especially right now, staying present. I've been seeing that everywhere just in terms of, I think, just one of the key tenets of making sure that not only this employee of this particular group, but all employees feel included and leadership behaviors that may need to change or enhance. But I know as us as DNI practitioners, a lot of this stuff we've been doing all along because that's just a part of how we operate. But in terms of keeping that open dialogue going, ensuring that we are clear and consistent in our communication, how have you've been staying connected to your staff at Starbucks. You've already said a lot and really laid some strong nuggets, but is there anything else that maybe you can share to those listenings about staying connected to their employees? Well, I think it all starts with leadership. And so typically we hear from our global CEO, Kevin Johnson. We also hear from our global COO, Roz Brewer, in addition to our executive vice president of 
all of our U.S. retail stores, Ross and Williams. And they write very comprehensive communications about every facet of what we are experiencing. They're also very honest and transparent in their communications about what they know and what they don't know. We have a platform that we use called Workplace, which is Facebook or Starbucks. So it's essentially licensed by Facebook and it looks exactly like Facebook, but it's only for Starbucks partners. And there are so many different groups within Workplace where we post communications about what's happening day to day. How will this impact partners? How will this impact customers and communities? I think over communication is such an excellent thing to do in a time like this because we've never seen a global pandemic in our lifetime. No one who's alive right now has ever been through this. It's so new. It's so scary. And so people, what I've recognized is that people love communication. People love information. Even if the information is we're working on something, we don't know all of the answers, but we're trying. That is better than a lack of information because that is when you are not sharing information, that's what creates fear and that's what creates anxiety. Because I think naturally people are are scared of the unknown and there is so much unknown. So I, I just love the way that we've been over communicating, using a lot of our technological platforms to connect and to share. I agree. Thank you for that. I I will say that even from a Ronstad perspective, just to kind of echo your point in terms of leaders sharing, in the midst of this, our leaders begin to institute these weekly calls that were and continue to be very transparent. And I have found them to be very helpful and extremely grateful. So I totally agree. And that really resonates with me. Now, my last question You spoke about your employee resource groups at Starbucks and how often these groups stand connected. You have workplace like Facebook at Starbucks, and I know you're leveraging them in a number of ways. Can you give some additional examples maybe to individuals who are looking to expand how they actually leverage their employee resource groups while in quarantine? Anything else that you may want to share that maybe we didn't cover? Great question, because these networks have historically been very connected to one another because of the interpersonal connection, right? And so now that they're facing this challenging time where we're navigating not being able to give each other a hug or see each other's face, we've had to lean into chat rooms and we've had to lean into Microsoft Teams and to Zoom meetings and all of these things. What I will say is that for our networks, we have allowed the networks to lead themselves. We give them direction from an IND perspective and always stay connected and talking to them in real time. But there are instances and moments where these networks want to lead themselves. And they have so much thought leadership and such a unique understanding of their very own demographic that we're looking for them to teach us. Best thing that we want to do is impose our thoughts and our feelings about what's happening and transpiring and telling them how to feel. More so, it's important for us to be great listeners. And what I've recognized is that these partner networks have a great amount of talent that lie within them. These partners are so smart and so dialed in and they want desperately to connect with one another and with leadership so that 
they can demonstrate why they add way more value to the organization than just their day job. Because we are such a mission-led organization, it has to go deeper than the, the work that you do day to day. It has to go deeper than a cup of coffee. And so the partner networks are literally the lifeblood. I've said that before on this call, but I'll say it over and over. They're the lifeblood of our organization. And I've learned so much from them already. We're about to go into our 50th year. Starbucks will turn 50 in 2021. And as we think about what approaching 50 looks like, we have used the partner networks, each and every one of them, to walk us through what we call the partner promise, which is a beautiful dialogue and set of words about what the partner journey should look like from the beginning and all the way through. And instead of us telling them like how to feel about Starbucks or read these words and memorize them because we wrote them and this is what it is, we've given every single partner network a voice in shaping what the partner promise looks like and what the partner promise will look like for the next 50 years, because that's really where we're concentrating our efforts. We know that what got us here won't get us to the next phase and that we've got to continue to dimensionalize our thoughts and have a deeper level of understanding of who is amongst us and what do they bring to the table and how can we start to show up differently so that we show up for everyone. So I just can't underscore the importance of allowing affinity networks or business resource groups or whatever you call them to to share their own stories not to impose the company story on them, but for them to become a part of the organizational fabric means that they have to have an authentic voice and no retaliation, no fear for candor, nothing that would hold them back from showing up as authentically as they can. Wow. I am all about continuous growth and evolution. So the fact that you said continue to show up differently so that we continue to show up for everyone. I love that. I made a note. So that's one that I'm, I'm taking down, Audra, uh, shamelessly. <laughs> Good. Thanks, Zing. I enjoyed that section with you. Audra, I'm going to pass it over to you to ask remaining questions. Absolutely. Just a couple more questions, Zing. I mean, really appreciate you. You've been providing such sage wisdom today. I, I get chills every time I talk to you. Just powerful insights. One of the things that I'm really disheartened about, we talked about news coverage earlier, but I think one of the facts that's really sticking to me are the high number of Hispanics and African-Americans, other people of color that have been hospitalized or dying of COVID-19. Are there any ways that organizations or we as diversity practitioners put out more information that can help impact at-risk diverse communities to ensure their health and safety? How can we communicate better? Well, first and foremost, we have to understand why this is happening. We have to talk to the government agencies and the medical agencies and the organizations that have the insights as to why these numbers are so staggering. And then I think we have to have strong leaders in government that are respected, that are constantly communicating. I have been in awe of Governor Cuomo in New York. I've been on the news every day. To me, he's shown up as a leader in the midst of this crisis because he's over-communicating and he is trying to work with agencies and officials and trying the best. New York is one of the places that has been most impacted by this. And so he is not claiming to have any or all of the answers, but he is demonstrating leadership through over-communication to try to have resolutions. 
this is impacting black and brown people in a disproportionate way. And it's disheartening. It happened in my family two weeks ago. I'm a New Yorker. I think I mentioned earlier on the phone that I'm from Long Island. And so a lot of my family members still live in New York. And a cousin of mine is an MTA bus driver and works in the Bronx and had to continue working and had to be on the front lines because he's got a family with five children and a wife and has to make ends meet. And so he continued to drive the bus and caught COVID-19 in the course of driving. Unfortunately, he was hospitalized because his breathing got worse and worse and worse. And our family was not able to visit him because it's very hard right now in New York. It's just impossible to visit family members while they're being hospitalized for this. It's not safe. The hospitals are overwhelmed. And so my aunt had called to check on him every day. And the seventh day that she called to check on him, they told her that there was no patient in the hospital by that name. And so she said, well, that can't be because I dropped him off and I've been calling every day and I've been getting status updates. And then Maybe 20 minutes later, they informed her that my cousin passed away the day before, and that's why they didn't have him on the patient roster. And so this has actually impacted my family personally. I am an African-American person, and I realize that this is happening disproportionately to Black and brown people. And so companies have a responsibility to acknowledge that this is not rhetoric, This is not fake news. This is not a hoax. This is real life. This is happening, and there are reasons why. As we know, there are a lot of health challenges within these communities, oftentimes that were pre-existing, diabetes, hypertension. And so when a person is exposed to COVID-19 that has these underlying conditions, they probably have a higher chance of being susceptible to contracting COVID-19, and to having very, very serious complications as a result. And so we have to be storytellers. We have to tell these stories. My cousin's life mattered. These five children that belong to him will now have to go throughout their entire life without a dad. And so we have got to tell these stories in the most authentic, honest way that we possibly can. And we have got to keep people social distancing for as long as we can. I understand and recognize that the economy needs to be rejuvenated as quickly as possible. And we've got to get people back working and we've got to get people back to being able to support themselves financially. But you can't support yourself financially if you're dead in the grave. And so we have got to be smart about making choices that are short-term and painful or long-term and forever. And so I don't have the exact answer on how we drive that message home to the communities that are most susceptible, but I think part of it is keeping them safe from themselves, shutting down stores for as long as we need to that are not essential stores, not opening up our cities and states faster than we need to, Because if we know that certain demographics are prone to consumer behavior and will go to stores to buy sneakers, we can't make that an available option. But this takes courage from government officials. This takes courage from medical officials to provide us with lots of information. This is also on 
every individual to tell stories, to be honest about what has happened to their family members and what they've personally experienced and share this out loud. But I don't think that there is a quick fix. And I don't think that we should be opening up America before there are real solutions. Well, first of all, Zane, my condolences to you and your family. I think everybody's been impacted some way by COVID-19. And to have your personal story, thank you for sharing your truth today. I think that's very powerful. And that's the story we have to keep telling. We have to keep telling our truths and telling our stories, as you said. That leads me to my next question around diversity inclusion. It's amazing to me that this question came up actually in an article, and I thought, well, this will be interesting to pose to Zing. Why do you think diversity inclusion is critical for organizations to keep throughout this COVID-19 crisis and afterwards? It was critical prior to the global pandemic. I just think now more than ever, we've got so many people, like you said, impacted, so many people needing to have a sense of belonging during an uncertainty. So why do you think that it's, it's important that we keep focusing on DNI? You know, it's more important now, more than it was yesterday. It really is because it has shined a huge light on the fact that we are all susceptible to something that is deadly and that no one is better than anyone through COVID-19. I don't care how much money is in your bank account. I don't care where you live. I don't care how you live. You can be impacted. We've seen celebrities. I think Tom Hanks was one of the first stories where we saw a celebrity contract COVID-19. And then we saw more celebrities on Twitter and using their personal social media coming out to explain that this has impacted them. And so diversity and inclusion is critically important now because it is the connective tissue and it is the one thing that will bring us together in this crisis. I think that Diversity and inclusion right now can be leveraged more than ever. We can lean into our shared humanity and stop concentrating on all of the negative things and the differences that separate us, but figure out what are the things that we can lean on one another for to bring us together. And that, to me, I mean, diversity and inclusion, it's the one thing that can help save us all. It really is. The more and more that we stay apart from one another and the more and more that we fail to talk and connect, it's just going to continue to permeate society in such a negative way. And so in a way, if you think about it, COVID-19 has presented an opportunity. It really has. There's always an opportunity through a crisis. And I think the opportunity is to lean into shared humanity. And the way that you get there is through diversity and inclusion. And I think the inclusion part is the biggest part. Diversity just means difference. It just means how do people show up and what are the nuances that they bring to the table? But inclusion is how do we leverage what is good about every single person and then take the best of what everybody brings to the table to create either high-performing teams or to create strong communities, to create dialogue that is rooted in love. Because those are going to be the things that we need in order to get through this pandemic. Not money, not fame, not fortune, but shared humanity and love. And that is all what diversity and inclusion is about. 
Yes, it is. I love that. Lean into shared humanity. That's something we all need to do today and tomorrow as we keep getting through this pandemic and beyond. So saying one last question, I know family is so important to you as it is for most of us. What do you want your legacy to be that your children remember you the most for? Well, hopefully they don't have to remember. Hopefully I'm here with them for a long, long time. (laughs) I'm social distancing, so I'm not trying to not be here for an extended period of time. But hopefully when they are old and have their own children and grandchildren and I'm long gone, I, I want them to remember that mom was unselfish, that she always gave to others and gave to us and did not do it because she wanted something back, but did it because she loved us and loved people. She never put herself before others. And maybe that's not such a great thing. (laughs) Maybe I do need to concentrate on myself sometimes a little bit more than others, but I'll tell you that my heart is just bleeds for people. And (sighs) I want my kids to always be led the same way I do. I remember when I was pregnant with my daughter, I I saw a sign. I was in some store and there was a sign on the wall and it said, what did it say? <laughs> As something to the effect of, and maybe I'll, I'll get the quote a little bit wrong, but when you go into the world, make sure you do well. But more importantly, when you go into the world, make sure you do good was such a great thing to see while I was pregnant because I thought about my unborn child at the time and said, that's what I want. That's what I want for her. I want her to do good. Do good for hers. Do good for humanity. Do good. So I hope they remember that about me, that it was never a selfish bone in my body that wanted to propel myself without thinking of others. Well, thank you so much, Zing. As always, you're such a powerful DNI voice. It's such a true honor and gift to have you on our podcast. And thank you, Floss, from my Ready Crew, for another just powerful, deep conversation, as I knew Zing was going to bring it today. Also want to give a big thank you to our listeners globally. We appreciate your support. Remember that we celebrate diversity and inclusion. We celebrate humanity. So be sure to spread the word by using hashtag celebrate humanity and tag our hashtag diversity deep dive podcast. Real diversity happens when everyone is actively engaged and working together for a positive change. Let's keep the conversation going. Please download more episodes of the diversity deep dive podcast. Until next time, seek out ways to make a positive difference in your organization or community. 